and welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael Deacon, bringing you the truth, no matter how bad it hurts. Joining me in a moment, William F. Mann is the guest this evening. He is an officer of the Knights Templar of Canada's Grand Executive Committee, a member of its Grand Council, and serves as the Sovereign Great Priory's Grand Archivist. He is the author of The Last Refuge of the Knights Templar and The Ultimate Secret of the Pike Letters. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining me on this very special evening yet again. For those in the West Coast, it's a bit of a late afternoon delight. And those in the East Coast, it's already evening for you. Regardless, I'm glad you are here with me. I hope all of you are feeling well. Now, without further ado, let's get down to brass tacks and bring in William F. Mann and my co-host, Mr. Mike Hideous. Gentlemen, are you alive out there? I'm here, Michael. How are you? I'm fantastic. And Mike, are you also okay out there? Yes, sir. I'm here. Uh, whether I'm okay, that's left to be decided. De- debatable. Debatable is also word right on brother thank you so much for uh (laughs) thank you to to both of you for being here with me this evening i'm glad both of you are here in this time it almost seems like the end times am i right boys brother well hopefully hopefully uh reason and logic will uh overcome sort of panic and hysteria and hopefully we'll be able to overcome this only time will tell only time will tell no doubt and william my goodness i'm so glad you're here and spending some time with both myself and mike hideous and the listeners out there everyone is quite excited that you are here my friend no problem my pleasure I don't give too many radio interviews. You can probably appreciate in in my position that uh, uh, I just have to be very careful. There's a lot of people that would uh, would uh, like to be associated with the Supreme Grandmaster or take a few shots at the Supreme Grandmaster. No doubt. So I, hope I hope you're not going to uh, try to uh, pigeonhole me tonight. No, 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 no. no, no. We don't do that no here. You're in good hands. I'm boy. even... But I'm even more excited now that you've said that. (laughs) Yes. Now you wrote a, you wrote a number of incredible books, my friend, throughout the years. The. Yes, this is number five. This is number five. The book, The Last Refuge of the Knights Templar, The Ultimate Secret of the Pike Letter. And I could not help but also read the acknowledgement section of your book. And most people don't even read that part, but there was something in there that you wrote that really caught my attention. And you wrote, as one grows older, one comes to realize that no single individual has ever lived long enough to have figured out the true meaning of life. Now, to me, um, William, that is even harder to figure out in these times. <laughs> it is. It is to simplify things. Uh, um, as you grow up, uh, you always think that you know better than your parents, uh, but as uh, you get of the age of where you're, uh, I have two boys that are adult men now, and you start to realize that, yeah, maybe some of the things that you, uh, you've you learned or and understood, finally understood over a lifetime of learning, uh, actually come come back to uh, to serve you well when dealing with uh, when dealing with everyday situations and uh, people. No doubt, and as we continue forward here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, my friend? Well, interesting enough, I just retired. Um, the nice. reason I retired 
is last August I was installed as a Supreme Grand Master in Knights Templar Canada. What that is, is thank you very much. And uh, I thought maybe that I could continue working at the time, but uh, I realize now it's a full-time job. It's a, it's a two-year term. And uh, what it does is uh, essentially I'm the national leader or figurehead of uh, the Sovereign Great Priory of Canada, which is the highest level of Christian masonry um, uh, belonging both to the Scottish Rite uh, Masons and the York Rite Masons, both sides. English and the Scottish. Uh, so it is very, I'm very honored and privileged to have been given the position. And in part, it was because of the books that I wrote and the interest that I've had in Knights Templar history throughout my life. But it's also in part because I actually 65 years ago to the day that I was installed, my uh, great uncle was um, Supreme Grand Master Knights Templar of Canada also. And it was my uh, my great uncle who was like my surrogate grandfather mm. because my grandfather died before I was born. He uh, he was the one that instilled in me a lifetime of uh, of query and wondering about the mysteries and the spiritual relationships uh, uh, among us all out there in the world. So uh, as I say, I joined a number of orders and degrees, Masonic order and degrees, because of my family legacy, but because of my interest in uh, spirituality and uh, uh, understanding knowledge at a higher level. So basically, you're saying that your family is connected possibly to the holy bloodline that's talked about in the Da Vinci Code. Is that correct? Uh, I'll say yes. I'll say yes. But it, whenever somebody asks me that, I always say, don't get hung up on that. One of the first things you learn, uh, in doing all this research is always look beyond. Is it, uh, is the ultimate secret the, uh, the holy family of Jesus and Mary Magdalene? Yes. But, uh, that's really not, the, not what the ultimate knowledge that the Knights Templar discovered a thousand years ago at the, in Jerusalem during the first crusades. Interesting. Mike, I know you have something to say. Go oh, in there. Get in there, I Mike. I am dying, Mike. <laughs> Go ahead. dying as his question. Grandmaster William, uh, let me just say it is uh, a real honor for me <laughs> to sit here and be able to talk to you and ask you these questions. Um, I, I have been reading books about the Templars for the last ooh, 13 years, um, and I'm fascinated by it. I, you you just mentioned uh, one. You just mentioned something that it was part of a question that I had a thousand years ago. When the uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but when the alleged uh, a crusade attack on Jerusalem, uh, when that took place, and allegedly the Templars had found something that was of great importance, but to this day no one knows exactly what it was. Do you do you subscribe to that theory? And what's your what's your belief on that? Oh, absolutely. And and actually, I I can't go into it now, but I know that I have proof. There is proof that what they discovered was phenomenal, oh. and uh, and that's what I allude to in my new book, The uh, Lost Last Refuge of the Knights Templar. Now, the question is, a lot of people ask me, well, can you tell me what the treasure is? <laughs> and uh, I always say to people, I said, what do you think the treasure is? I said, the treasure is whatever you think it is. It could be knowledge. Ask understand- me, ask me. <laughs> understanding wisdom. It could be genealogical records of the uh, of the House of David. It could be uh, bones, relics associated with Jesus and the Holy Family. It could be ancient records from before the Great Flood. It could be all of those things. 
I, I always felt, I mean, this is just me, but I always felt it had something to do with Mary Magdalene and having found her remains and perhaps the documents that may have claimed that Jesus was indeed a... Uh, Did we lose Mike? Did we lose Mike? Maybe he got struck down by lightning. I think he might have um, he, he, been struck down there. Well, let me, yeah, let me an- answer his, his question with a question. The, what you have to do is you have to ask yourself, what is it that the Knights Templar possessed, which allowed them to essentially blackmail the Vatican into identifying them as the, the ultimate um, uh, holy army of the papacy? And what is it that uh, would allow them to establish an order that answered only to the Pope himself? And that would be tax-free, that essentially it would be an autonomous, a sovereign state without a country, but uh, they were in order unto themselves. What is it that they possessed that would cause the Vatican to almost fall on their knees? Right, right. And, and so what is it that, that caused the Vatican through the Jesuits to pursue this secret that the Knights Templar possessed for a thousand years. Sorry, Mike, guys. I, this, I see Mike is back. Yeah, he's Did back. You fall yeah. off your chair, Mike. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I, I, you know what? I gotta I have to take care of this problem at some point. My computer just went kaplooey. My apologies. <laughs> um, can you all no hear problem. me? All right. We hear you loud and clear. Yep. Okay. Just making sure. So again, I, I apologize. I dropped out here. Um, Did you hear that last? The last answer, Mike? I'm, I'm afraid I didn't, uh, Grandmaster, because I, I dropped out as, as I was asking you or we were discussing the answer to the, the statement. Well, um, I, I, I posed the question to you. What do you think that the Knights Templar discovered that allowed them to essentially uh, maintain control over the papacy in the Vatican? In, in and, my opinion? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. And that for a thousand years, uh, still to this day, has caused the Vatican through the Jesuits to search for that secret in the uh, lost uh, Templar treasure. In my personal opinion, I always felt it was it had something to do with the fact that Jesus was not divine, but a man who had a relation with a woman and and created a family because right. it was the church that said that Jesus was divine and therefore did not need the flesh of anyone though of, of a woman particularly. Uh, therefore, he had. Uh, uh, sired a, a child with Mary Magdalene, and that was the secret, in my opinion. So maybe they found bones, maybe they found records associating that information to them. Um, that's my my look on it. Maybe maybe they found all of that. Right. Maybe they did. Possible. Yeah, it's possible. Very possible. Maybe, but uh, as I say once again, always look beyond the obvious. Whenever you think that you've You've uncovered or reasoned the final secret. Always look beyond. Maybe that's a cover-up. Maybe that's just a deflection. The Knights Templar were famous for those types of things. By the way, now, William, just to, cut, ahead, in, sorry, Michael, just to cut in really quickly here, why is it that you don't do many interviews, sir? Well, I always find that, uh, and if you read my book uh, on Albert Pike specifically, Albert Pike is a fascinating uh, character Very. in life, but he's he's a real enigma. He's almost treated like a demigod by certain Scottish Rite Masons. Uh, he had a phenomenal intellect, and he and he alone really redeveloped the 32 degrees of the Scottish Rite of the Southern Jurisdiction in the U.S. But he was also a Confederate general. 
Uh, it's said that he developed the uh, basic ritual based on Scottish Rite uh, rituals for the Ku Klux Klan, and right. he was a knight of the Golden Circle. So you can see that there are certain um, fringe elements out there that like to associate themselves with Knights Templar specifically, but also Freemasonry and uh, the purported secrets that we carry. Was he a Satanist? No, not at all. That's what some not at people uh, consider him to be one. I'm not quite sure why. Sure. And a lot of people consider Masons to be men who go in. Uh, that too. Um, and ride goats. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because of the Baphomet. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But you know what? All of that, that all of that is nonsense. Uh, Masons that I know, hopefully including myself, are the finest gentlemen that you would ever meet. Well, the ones May I... May I ask a question? Go Mike? ahead, Mike. Get in there. Okay. So, Grandmaster, a two-part question to you, if, if you don't mind. And, sure. Um, so, so now, we just talked about the issue of Baphomet. Now, a thousand years ago, the church accused the Templars of worshipping uh, not only Baphomet, but also, uh, allegedly, the head of John the Baptist. Now, in your opinion, honestly, I I think that the church had framed the Templars with the, 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 the accusation that the that Baphomet was being worshipped by the Templars, number one. Number two, and, again, and, I'm and sorry. Let, let me answer that. <clears throat> Absolutely. You know, the stories are utter nonsense. And it's just medieval poppycock uh, developed to, to frame the Templars. There, there's no reason or logic. There's no basis of Baphomet associated with, with the Masons, with the Knights Templar, with anybody else. So get that out of your head right about now. Gotcha, sir. So in it, it, second part of the question being with John the Baptist, as, aside from the whole head thing, again, another, in my opinion, another accusation by the church, but John the Baptist, I've been, I've read that allegedly it was John the Baptist who was supposed to be the Messiah and not Jesus. What is your thoughts on that? There's a lot of conspiracy questions out there. John the Baptist was obviously the one who anointed Jesus. Um, both John the Baptist and Jesus are considered to be divine. Uh, in my mind, at least, if they're considered to be uh, prophets and great men, uh, human beings, uh, I don't think it lessens um, in any way the message that they carry and have carried for 2,000 years. Again, you have to approach it with logic and reason. And and, and that being said, I, I agree with you 100% by approaching such answers and clues and stuff like that with logic. But at the same time, one has to ask, <laughs> where does the logic come in? How, you know, how can you really – get an answer when stuff like this was so long ago and in most cases either the documents were lost or kept extremely private right well uh, well again documents yes they've been kept private but i've been privy to a number of documents as you piece them together you're able to you have to think for yourself you have to reason um and logically understand the, the the knowledge that you're given. And Freemasonry is all about that, rising to a higher degree of understanding, a higher degree of wisdom. But you're still a man. You're not an alien. You're not a devil. Yeah, human, human spirit can do tremendous things. Just witness what's happening out there right now. Right. 
On a side note, really quickly here, Mike, I'm going to have to send you a copy of his book, by the way, The Last Refuge of the Knights Templar. It is extremely fascinating, and we could do way more than an hour just on this book alone. Uh, it's <laughs> insane, the information. I would love it. It's really damn good, in my opinion. Well, one of the reasons I write these books is it's funny. After my mother died, trying to just deal with the emotion uh, but also trying to deal with all the information I had in my head. I needed to somehow download that information and to, to call some of the information out of my So I've been writing books ever since, and uh, I find it, uh, one, a great way to, to sort out and to file your thoughts. But also, as you mentioned, uh, uh, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Uh, it allows me to really apply all my understanding in various levels. And Michael, you may have understood the book on about two different levels. I've written it on ten, about ten different levels. Right. So you may want to go. You may want to go back and read it about ten times. I might have. And, yeah. This is one of those gain, mm -hmm. gain some understanding. There's a page turner, no doubt. And, oh, that's good. And you said wow. you were a 32 degree Scottish Rite Mason, correct? Yes, that's correct. And wow. how on earth did you? I mean, you said your grandfather. But what what exactly was the catalyst for you that made you just go all in, my friend? Well, the catalyst was I always knew that I was always fascinated about Freemasonry for a number of reasons. But you have to understand, uh, my two English uh, great uncles would sit me on the couch when I was four and five. Some of the earliest memories I ever have. And they were doing pantomime. They were doing ritual. What the, what I didn't understand is and you have to appreciate everything in Freemasonry is done by memory. They, they were actually practicing their ritual in front of me. Mm. And so some, something of that mystery has been instilled in me ever since I can remember. It's pretty and awesome. And then they would, and then as I got older, I can remember when I was eight, when I was 12, they would always give me puzzles, more complicated puzzles as I grew older in order to solve. So in many ways, I felt I, I don't know if they recognized something in me or they just instilled something in me. But in many ways, I can see now that I was sort of uh, subconsciously being being trained for the position that I have now. Very Grandmaster, nice. if I may, um, what what is your outlook on uh, on religion, uh, particularly in the Christian sense? Uh, do you follow uh, Christianity, Catholicism, or anything like that? Or do you subscribe to a different religious theory, uh, considering that you're with the Knights of uh, the Knights Templar? No, I was, uh, I was baptized in Christ and uh, christened uh, as a Catholic. My mom was Roman Catholic. My dad was high, high Anglican. I consider myself a Christian. I go to church. Um, the organization I belong to is known as the Christian Masonic Arm. Uh, you have to be Christian in order to join, whereas there are other degrees, other orders in masonry where you just have to believe in a supreme being or God to join. But uh, uh, what people don't realize, even within the order itself, is that there's a great concentration put on the Christian mysteries, the metaphorical uh, transfiguration of Christ from from the human to the divine whether that's a metaphor or whether that was actually real. But uh, I dabble in, uh, I'm also a nine, ninth degree Rosicrucian. And uh, because on my mother's side, my mother is uh, a full-blooded Algonquin Indian. Oh, that's right. Um, 
I, uh, I belong to what is known as the Grand Medicine Society. And interesting enough, the rituals that I've gone through for the Medeuin are mirror images of the Knights Templar images. So what it is, is allowing you to, through your mind and body, to reflect uh, that spirituality in order to achieve a higher level of understanding. Interesting. Michael, did you want to say something? That's about 25 years of work put, put within about two minutes. That's right. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you understand that a little. Oh, yes. Wow. And we were just talking about religion and all of that just now. And in the Pike letters, or letters, yeah, the Pike letters, rather, um, he says, I'm forgetting exactly who he said this to, but do you also believe the soul is in the heart? No. Actually, that's an interesting point that I make out in the book. The soul is in the mind because really from a, from, let's say, let's say, uh, an historical religious perspective from, from a Roman Catholic perspective, the soul is seen as, as being in the heart. But the Knights Templar, like the, uh, the Christian monastics before the uh, Council of Nicaea, uh, they believed that you could reason God's existence. And therefore, the soul is in the mind. Hmm. Can I ask another question, Michael? Jump in there. I was going to say that would make sense to me since I've had many outer body experiences and always felt. Yes. Yes. You know where I'm going with this. Uh, Mike, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You can finish that, Michael, if you if you I'm good. wanted to. I, no, right. He knows where I'm going. <laughs> real, real quick, Grandmaster. Um, have you ever read a book called Holy Blood, Holy Grail? Sure. Sure. Okay. I read that about. Probably about 25 years ago. Okay. Um, and, and go back to it on sort of on a regular basis, yes. It's a fascinating book. And the reason I bring it up is because in the book it mentions the theory of the possibility that Jesus was not indeed crucified and may have escaped to Gaul with uh, Magdalena if indeed he was alive. Um, what are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are you have to look beyond the Holy Blood and the Holy Grail, Mike. Okay. Look, look beyond that. Is that is that a theory? Is that a story? Is it reality? It is whatever you want to make of it. Um, but as I tell people, take 10% of that story and add it to all the other conspiracy stories, and you may get the real story. Okay. Now, how does your book re relate to the Da Vinci Code? Well, interesting enough, the Da Vinci Code, I uh, I call sort of Knight Templar light. Um, Dan Brown, amazingly, I one of my first books I wrote all about the background to the Da Vinci Code in prior to 2000. And Dan Brown, when he came out with his book, very simply, very effectively, he took a lot of these concepts, a lot of these conspiracy theories, a lot of the background to the Knights Templar and blended it into into actually an amazing story. But once again, you have to take 10% of all that you see in the Da Vinci Code and consider it to be true. Um, uh, Dan Brown, what, this whole um, question in terms of Jesus and the Holy Family and Mary Magdalene, he just hit upon uh, a sort of hidden psyche within the sort of collective psyche of North America and the world. And uh, he, he raised the question. But what's interesting now is I thought that would be earth-shattering to the church. But the church, whenever theories of this nature come out, very effectively bring certain experts together and squash 
the theories to the point that people just just assume, okay, it was fictional. I'll move on with my life and accept the basic tenets that the church puts out there and teaches me. Um, uh, people have to think for themselves. They have to reason right. uh, what, what's real, what's not real. Well, w- wouldn't you agree? Uh, maybe you wouldn't agree, but don't you think that there's a possibility that what is taught uh, and preached in within a religion that it makes people question the uh, uh, either the authority or the how true these things are. I mean, you know, you say look beyond. So when you're in church listening to a sermon by a priest and everything is blind faith, how how is it not that you? I mean, how can you not question things like that? Mike, I question every minute of every day. I love that. <laughs> You're a wise man, well, William. He is. Yeah. Well, Mike, what you have to what you have to look at is, you know, blind faith is a remarkable thing. Mm-hmm. I really, um, I'm really amazed. People, and my mom was one of those. My mom, uh, you know, had blind faith in the church, but the church control controlled and have controlled native existence for the last 400 years here in North America. Has it been good for the indigenous communities? I would say no. I would say they almost decimated it. Was a, it was a planned genocide through the church and, uh, and government to obliterate the Native Americans. Right. But um, uh, you have to understand what is it that the church possessed that sort of is able to develop this worldwide faith uh, based on nothing more than a than the story that if you realistically thought about it, can one ascend to heaven? Where you know who I always point out who invented uh, hell? The church invented hell because they had to say if you you know if you're not good, you're going to go to hell instead of heaven, right? right. There has to be a balance, right? Wow, that's fascinating. May I ask you, um, is there an association between the Templars and the Priory of Sion? Um, what do you consider to be the Priory of Zion? Now, there's a lot of organizations out there that claim that they are the true Priory of Zion. Do, let me put it this way. Are there families that are direct descendants of the original Knights Templar from a thousand years ago? Yes. And my family is one of those. Are the, is there a true Priory of Zion inner circle of Knights Templar out there? Yes. But there's a lot of imitations. All round, and and people ask me why. And the the point that I make is, whenever the Templar treasure is ultimately discovered, there's going to be people coming out of the woodwork looking to lay claim to it. Who are the rightful owners of the Templar treasure? And really, should it be discovered? What will it do to world religion? Interesting. Now I have to ask you your thoughts about the TV show Oak Island. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> My thoughts. Yes. Well, you know what? It's fascinating that the, the show can continue for seven years, I every agree. 10 minutes. I agree, yes. I'll claim that they discovered possibly the most fascinating or historically significant uh, um, thing um, in the last 400 years. Um, let's put it this way. I'm amazed if you watch it, and I watch it all the time. Once in a while, I'll tune um, in. I, I'm fast. I'm fascinated by it, but for different reasons. Mm. I'm fascinated that that for two over two hundred years, uh, well educated, well rounded, well um, very prosperous, very successful men have spent a lot of money searching for something that may not be there. 
And in their mind, in their mind, they can't get over the, the reasoning that somebody would have set something up that would have kept them busy for 225 years. You have to remember that the Knights Templar were continually being pursued by the church and French royalty for that purpose because of the, the treasure that they possessed or were purported to possess. It's like if I went on to the, as a kid onto the school ground and said, you know, I got a secret and spread that around. Everybody would want to know what the secret was, even if I didn't have a secret. So you have to think about it. Um, were those works purposely done by, let's say, British army officers in the uh, mid 1700s to actually a- act as a ruse and to prevent people from looking beyond? It's, it's, if that's the case, it's done its job. It's prevented a lot of people. You know, a lot of people be, being fascinated on the works, the underground works on Oak Island and failed to look beyond to the mainland. Now, be honest with me. Sure. Where is... I'm always, the, where, I'm always where, on it. Tell me the truth. Where Where is the Templar treasure? Where is it at? <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually, have you, if you uh, finish my book, you'll know exactly where it is. I haven't oh, finished I gotta it. I got to read that book. <laughs> I haven't finished it, to be honest. Yeah. I just not pinpointing exactly where it is. Oh my! But I I know exactly where it is. The question is: Is the world uh, ready for it to be revealed? I love and, I'm ready. I'm ready, Grandmaster. Yeah, you can go down the hole first. Mike. <laughs> um, oh my! But but the but the whole thing is 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 the world ready to accept what is to be uncovered and what is to be and is it meant to be revealed? And is the treasure what you really think it is? No, those are some questions. Right. Those are some questions you can ponder tonight. I, I already am. But one of the things that sticks out in my mind is did the Knights Templar really possess the Holy Grail? The Holy Grail? And what was the what Holy is the Grail? Holy, exactly. What do you consider to be the Holy Grail? Well, we see it as some sort of um, as we know it as in the Bible, as as a relic, as a cup of sorts, and. But it can mean something else, I would have to say, correct? On 10 different levels, it can mean, Absolutely. it could, on the most basic of levels, it could be just knowledge. It could be yeah. knowledge, knowledge that the church controlled, uh, 2000 years ago, and they've done a good job of controlling it. It could be knowledge that just, if nothing else, it could be think what was considered to be the sacred geometry, knowledge that the world wasn't flat. There were there were ancient mariners circumnavigating the world when the church was preaching that it was flat and that you would fall off the end of the earth as you went through the uh, um, Straits of Gibraltar. Well, I'm glad you don't believe the earth is flat. No. <laughs> or that we're alone. Or that we're alone. Yeah, you believe in, in extraterrestrial life, correct? Well, to a certain extent, yes. It, it's it's a gain, a gain from a reasonable point of view. It we have a pretty big collective ego if we think that we're the only ones that we have the only planet that can sustain life in the universe or beyond. Grandmaster, if I may, um, if I were to look up in my Templar books about the history of the Templars, sure, would you be able to tell me what name you are associated with uh, that? Was all the way back in the year one thousand. Sure, Hugh de Payan, okay, and Godfrey, and Godfrey de Bouillon. Oh my goodness, you're kidding! Well, what you have to understand is that those those were lesser uh, French families of lesser nobility, right? Now, okay. if you know your history, 
it was the families of the, those um, descendants of those original nine knights, those families, that the Norman families, that made their way over to New France in the 1600s and uh, were made lieutenant governors of certain districts or certain trading areas. And in order to... Uh, in order to develop strategic alliances with the native Indians that they would marry into the, uh, into the native bloodline. So part of the, uh, part of the notion in the book that I put forward, The Last Refuge and the Knights Templar, is that 400 years ago or even further, there were these strategic intermarriages between those Knights Templar who came to North America and the Native Americans. And that blood, that, did two things. It strengthened the bloodline, and it also, it also, uh, in essence, ensured that the Knights Templar and their parties could move inland into North America. Because I can tell you that, that even though the natives would have greeted the, let's call them old world Europeans, they wouldn't have even got on shore if they weren't, uh, if they didn't know the signs, seals, and tokens of the secret societies. So, so now there's another great fact that you just brought up. Uh, I recently saw um, a program, oh, I don't know, maybe a, a year or two ago, might even been longer, that allegedly the Templars did come to the United States, to America, uh, oh, golly, uh, like far beyond the Vikings and far beyond the, the uh, alleged Christopher Columbus discovering America. What is your take on that? Did they truly come to America after they were hunted down by the church in, um, in Europe? Absolutely. What better place to hide? And I agree with you. Don't get me wrong. What I'm trying no, no. to ask here, what I'm trying to ask here is that they, they, they had the knowledge. Is it, they, they had it before anyone else had to get to a land that, I mean, did they even come here before that? Well, maybe that maybe that was part of the knowledge that they re, they discovered or rediscovered under the Temple Mount ah. around around eleven hundred. Maybe that was the knowledge. But you know what? Ancient mariners, Phoenicians, Carthaginians, Greeks, Romans—they they were all making transatlantic voyages. The Chinese were making trans-Pacific voyages. Um, it's only in the church's mind that nobody was traveling, circumnavigating the world, even in ancient times. When I say ancient times, pre-Christian times. Fascinating. Maybe that's part of the uh, the real knowledge that was, that was discovered. <laughs> He's toying with us, Michael. You can, I could tell. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm just. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> That's just I'm so fascinated by this. Um, well, the the thing that you're going to take from this, Mike, is that you you're going to think a lot about a lot of things that I said. Oh, well, I certainly and, am, no doubt. And you, ha and you have to reason for yourself. You have to think about it and start logically putting things together. What, what about what about the the church in France? Uh, I correct me if I'm saying the name wrong. Renée's Le Chateau. Renée's Le Chateau, yeah. Okay, so allegedly the priest had found um, something hidden within the altar as he was doing uh, renovations. Any comment on that particular subject? He actually Sonier, the priest. Sonier, right? That's a fascinating story unto itself, but it's a side story once again, right? It's uh, uh, how much truth is there associated with that story? Maybe a lot, maybe a little. Uh, if you look at what Sonia was doing, he was almost blackmailing the church himself. Right. You know, it's like it's coming back to the old uh, 
that old uh, line of I know a secret and you don't. You would you would be my best friend if I told you I, I would reveal the secret to you one day. <laughs> yes. Oh, you're. Know it. <laughs> By the way, I just wanted to mention Albert um, Pike. Yes, he's, he's a big man, wasn't he? Oh, he was huge. He was a big guy. And uh, part of the part of the background to the book was that I discovered when I was the grand historian um, and archivist for the Sovereign Great Prairie. I discovered in a whole heap of uh, of artifacts and files coming out of our Grand Chancery in the basement after there was a flood. There was a correspondence, a 30-year correspondence between Albert Pike after the Civil War when he became Sovereign Grand Commander of the Scottish Rite in the United States and the first Supreme Grand Master and Knights Templar of Canada, Colonel William James Burry McLeod Moore. Uh, there couldn't be two opposite type of gentlemen. Pike was big and burly, 300 pounds, six foot two, looking like Santa Claus, um, and the Confederate general. And, uh, McLeod Moore was a British colonel. He was, uh, very much the ramrod straight, uh, a British soldier, a career soldier. Uh, but they shared some, they shared something. And, um, I'm not going to give the story away, but they shared possibly the location. Of the uh, the treasure vault, interesting. And uh, their correspondence, I realized, was written on a number of different levels. And that's what I'm suggesting in the book is that you always have to look beyond, always look to interpret not only the letters, the story, um, storylines uh, on so many different levels. A code within the code. A code within a code. I, yes, sir. You know it. And that brings me to another question here. I've been very curious your thoughts and opinions on, well, both of you gentlemen here on uh, several years ago, there was all sorts of uproar going on and even still today about removing these statues. Um, I'm very curious what your thoughts are. And I just wanted to quickly say, I don't really feel the need to remove these statues unless you're going to put them in a museum of sorts. But I think these statues still reflect upon the history of this nation and removing that would be sort of getting rid of the history that most people should understand and come to accept. In my opinion, I could be wrong. And, and I, and I agree with you totally. You know, there's a lesson there to the leaving the Confederate statues in place in Canada. Our first prime minister, John A. Macdonald, who was also a Knights Templar? Well, he did. He introduced the railway into Canada. And again, if you realize your history, the railway is probably the single most damaging uh, element to the existence, the continuing existence of Native Americans. It opened up the West. It brought in white settlers, manifest destiny, and all that. So the whole thing is, is yes, that you know, that's undeniable history, and you have to accept it. But, you know, to remove the statues almost to sterilize history, Yeah, you don't learn from it. You have to learn from history or you repeat it. 100%. Mike, go ahead if you have any thoughts and opinions on the removal of these statues that are all over the place, really. Well, well Michael. Um, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Did you have to say something, Grandmaster? No, no. Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Thank you, sir. Um, well, to to respond to that, Michael, I, I I firmly believe that they should remain, uh, not because I'm a racist or anything like that, but simply because it is history. And if you notice, there are place there are are places on earth uh, such as communist countries and even the Islamic religion who 
love to tear down uh, ancient history and claim that it's blasphemous or has no purpose, uh, and they try to erase history. Um, so, no, I firmly believe that they should remain intact. You know, it's funny, all the holidays that we have in this country, not one of them, not one of them has anything to do with celebrating the lives and or deaths of all the, the hundreds of thousands of men that died for the Civil War you know, to, to, to turn this country around and make it a better place. And we have no, you know, we have no day that, that, uh, uh, you know, celebrates that time. Um, so I think the relics of the, the relics, the the statues of the of the Civil War, are very important to keep, without a doubt. It's a it was a major history in our country, and it should remain that way. I just want to quickly add that I am of multi race. I'm not a racist of any kind, and I still support these statues being in place. Just no for doubt. the record, just for the record. As as I do, and uh, unfortunately, when you sterilize history, it looks to repeat itself. I find uh, I find the uh, the cabinet of Donald Trump to be very interesting in that it's quite reflective of uh, of errors gone by. You know, the South may rise yet still. And on that, <laughs> and let's not get yes. into American politics because I'll talk for two days. No worries. <laughs> I am curious. I am curious, however, what you think of what's going on right now in these sort of end of day sort of uh, times that we're in with the coronavirus, COVID nineteen. Uh, your thoughts, uh, William? Well, you know what? It's uh, int interesting. The world's overpopulated, and uh, um, I can't think of the author who I, I read a very fascinating book that uh, what the world population is about seven and a half billion right now. Yes, and he's saying that the pop world's population should be called by about one seventh, and it's interesting that. Uh, uh, it's rather prophetic that a pandemic of this nature would come along at this point in time. Very interesting. Go ahead, Mike. Maybe that's maybe that was part of the treasure that the Templars discovered, Mike. <laughs> maybe <laughs> it's like Pandora's box. <laughs> oh my mind! I got so many things I'm trying to think of. All these I, answers you've given me, you're like, look beyond, look beyond. Oh, I'm looking, I'm looking. Yeah. Oh, well, you you know, you sound a little younger than me. It'll come to you. How old do you think I am? Uh, at 40? Oh, you're a good man. Actually, I'm 53. Oh, there you are. <laughs> so, you're still young, but, Mike. Don't and, worry. Uh, I'm young at heart. You're a young uh, man. My body's getting a little old, though. <laughs> well, you know what? It's funny. You asked me about secrets uh, at the start, about secrets in masonry. Yes. I always say, I always say that uh, uh, 45, 50 years ago, I knew more secrets in the frat house that I belonged <laughs> to at university. <laughs> Interesting. And by the way, before we even went live, you said you were on a cruise. I was. Oh, my god. I goodness. was with my lovely wife. Uh, about four weeks ago, we were on a cruise of the Panama Canal. It was the first time we went to the Panama Canal. And I, I found it just fascinating, given my background in terms of the, uh, the American engineering and the ingenuity that uh, was taken to develop the canal, especially after the French failed. Um, uh, w what I really found fascinating was the whole concept of what that canal did over the last 120 years in terms of uh, world economy and uh, balance of power, allowing 
allowing uh, warships even to travel from the Atlantic to the Pacific in a very short time. It uh, it really, I think, uh, presented a balance, and there's a lesson to be learned here, present a balance of power um, through the Second World War up to uh, today. But uh, unfortunately, with the pandemic, there seems to be an imbalance of power that's happening now in the world, the world adjustment. And uh, if you know anything about native prophecies, we're talking about going from the seventh fire into the eighth fire. Um, the seventh fire prophecy says that there will be an adjustment of the world population uh, prior to a movement of peace into a, into a realm of peace. So it's interesting. We're I think we're in for turbulent times. Oh, no. You know, if I may, um, we had interviewed um, on Saturday, we interviewed a doctor who was speaking about uh, the whole coronavirus. And there was something that he made that I never really got to reply to. And it was that there was a prophecy uh, or actually, no, he said he knew a woman who had foresight. And she had said that she um, well, she anticipated this this virus coming uh, to some extent. However, um, <clears throat> scientifically speaking, I also have seen um, uh, these documentaries about doctors who uh, study pandemics and and uh, you know outbreaks, viruses, Ebola, you name it. And the logic there is simply that, um, and what they said was that uh, <clears throat> that um, it's not a matter of if a virus comes and uh, affects humanity greatly. It's a matter of when, because eventually a virus will mutate to a point where even modern science uh, will have an extreme problem trying to work out an antidote to uh, eliminate it. So, I mean, I'm a, I'm a science man, uh, Grandmaster, and I believe very – I'm very skeptical and I believe very much in, in science. If you prove it to me and, and it makes sense, I believe it. Uh, so it, there's no doubt in my mind that at some point – and this may be it. This may not be it. I don't know. But I, I do know that at some point there is going to be a virus, a very small bug that is going to do as much damage as the Black Plague. Fair enough. I agree. No, I, 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 I don't think there's, there's any doubt that that's going to happen. And if this, it's, if, if it's, if it's not, not a, this one, it may be the next one. That's right. And if it's not a bug, it might be a big old rock that's got our name on it, fl- hurtle, hurling through outer space, uh, heading right for this planet. It's one or the other. But uh, I, th- I think it'll be the virus. You think so? Yeah. I but the but the lesson to be learned there is is what is mankind's reaction to the virus? You know there are those that that just walk around as though it it doesn't exist. They don't want to acknowledge it. Isn't that there, incredible? There are those that have apocalyptic uh, visions that this is the end and that are accepting it. There are those out there that, as a man of science myself, understand viruses and pandemics and science that is used to battle against it. But, you know, what I what I find fascinating, if I wasn't involved, um, is the uh, the egos and the political nonsense that's involved uh, in battling this virus. I would have thought, I would have hoped that people would have come together in a better way. 
and allowed men of science to battle and to do what they can to eradicate the virus instead of the political machinations getting in the way. Agreed. Oh, yes. It's incredible that so many people out there still think this is some hoax. Those people are stupid, in my opinion. <laughs> and I hope they get the virus now. Let's let's move back to Night Stampler. Yes, sir. I agree. <laughs> but yes, um, speaking of which, have you ever been approached by any member of a secret society to help you obtain the treasure? To, to help me obtain the treasure? No. Help them obtain the treasure. Rather. Yes. Of them obtaining the treasure? Yes. Do you mind? And uh, I won't identify the various groups, but okay. I can tell you that I've I've said no to all of them because you know what? If that if that's what they're after, then they failed to learn the uh, the main lesson of the story. Uh, if if it's physical treasure that they're after, then there you may be stuck on Oak Island for another hundred <laughs> years. Well, the greed of man never surprises me, William. Mm. Well, you know what? It's also in the reasoning behind that, that uh, if you if you watch the show, I and I, as I say, I find the show very entertaining because they always want to bring everything back to the original medieval Knights Templar, because supposedly there there exists this Templar treasure that far outweighs, far outlistens any treasure that's ever been found to date. If you're thinking about that, you've lost already. I'm with you on that What's one. The, What's the name of the show you guys are talking about again? Oak oh, Island. The Curse of Oak Island. Yeah, The Curse of Oak Island. W- w- what is that on uh, HBO or something? No. I think it's the – isn't that the Discovery Channel or the History no, Channel? The, the History Channel. Yeah, the History Channel. Speaking of the History Channel, that has been rather bizarre over the past uh, – last 10 years rather – some of the programming on the History Channel has yeah, uh, kind of yeah, been unfortunately, unfortunately, they've fallen into the entertainment. Yeah, um, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't yeah. get it. Uh, they, they, they find that they have to sensationalize things in order for it to be entertaining. And my suggestion is, is that they, if they stuck to the known or hidden history, yeah. they would, that it would just be as entertaining or more. Yeah, don't, more don't people they, would be fascinated. Don't they have shows like Ice Truckers and Ancient Aliens, uh, Swamp Swamp Hunters, and things like that? It's kind of silly. I mean, History Channel. I used to watch. Uh, that's all I used to watch. Used to History good. and Discovery Channel. That's it. Yeah. Not anymore. Get back to the Knights Templar, guys. Before we get sued. I know. Before we get a. <laughs> uh, that's right. Before we get a. We have a lawsuit in our hands. <laughs> It'll come after you. So. I know they definitely will. Yeah, I already rubbed people the wrong way over there on that network plenty of times, actually. I've, I've actually had dinner with uh, someone out there. I won't mention any names, but the listeners actually, know exactly. I've I've, uh, I've uh, uh, been approached to go on the show, and I've actually offered to go on the show um, as the Supreme Grandmaster, some Great Priory Canada, oh, and, to dem- and to demonstrate to them on a higher level a number of things that they should be looking at. Um, but I don't think I don't think they they declined. I think they they feel that they have the winning winning formula now and that they want to continue it. Yeah, they got those ratings it, up there for sure. Yeah, it's the number one uh, cable TV show on the, on TV at this point in time. So a lot of people follow it, and a lot of people subscribe to it. When when they've had shows about the Templars on, I I have I've certainly 
been sure. interested I, in that. <laughs> and and that's why they relate everything to Templar. As soon as soon as they relate something to the Knights Templar, you know your ears perk up and that you'll you'll program <laughs> it and that you want to watch it. There's something about the medieval Knights Templar and this fascination of what they what they could have discovered. And and I'm sure you've noticed how many specials. And I'm not talking about just on 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 History Channel, but so many other you know Netflix and and all these other cable channels that are, might be on. There's so many different shows on now that uh, talk about the history of the Knights Templars and, yes. and all that. So yeah, a lot of it's popped up in the last I guess what ten years or so, if not longer. And it's a fascination. And just to get back to the uh, Da Vinci Code, Word. the whole fascination with that is there's there's something about the Knights Templar, this whole this whole monk warrior persona. On one side they were spiritual, on the other side they were ruthless. Um, on one side they they fought for the day, on the other side they planned seven generations from that day. So there's a it. It amazes me. They some people think they're almost supermen. They were just very convicted, um, very spiritual men who obviously had reached a higher level of understanding and wisdom. And they could be absolutely ruthless, but you know the strategic maneuvers they employed were thousands of years ahead of them themselves. They possessed at one time the greatest maritime. Uh, uh, fleet in the world. So what is what is to prevent the notion that they were able to sail away with the Templar treasure from La, La Rochelle on Friday the 13th, 1307, and possibly distribute some of that treasure across North America? Um, as there, uh, as those who sailed before them, the ancient mariners had had done for thousands of years. Uh, many people think that the world. Um, History is just like 3,000, 4,000 years. If uh, you subscribe to the native understanding, you realize that it's 6 billion years old. But, you know, you, you say the Templars were ruthless. I mean, they had to be. I mean, at that time in, in the world, I mean, uh, it was barbaric. Not that we're any different these days, but back then it was a lot less lawless. Um, and they were fighting, uh, what was it, the, the Muslim Turks, I believe? Yes, the Saracens. Um, right. Right. So, and they were just as ruthless, you know, and they were fighting for their God. So, uh, it's quite amazing what, what man will do for the belief of God. Uh, no, absolutely. But if you know the Templar history, there is, um, there is the notion that the Templars realized that they couldn't defeat the Muslims. So they actually made secret pacts with them. And there's a lesson again to be learned there a thousand years ago, a thousand years um, later. Why can't we, um, why can't we all live to, together? Wolf. Well, amen to that. Well, wolf is man. Uh, man is wolf to man, in my opinion. Yes. Unfortunately. And, and you know, not only that, but what you just said about them making the, the, the deals with the Arabs uh, and the Muslims. Uh, I mean, that's where we got a lot of uh, we've got we got algebra. We got um, astronomy. Uh, right. Astronomy. Thank you. And there were several other things. I know that uh, medicine. Um, you know, so there were a lot of things. And then again, the Templars also created our banking, uh, as we know it today. You know, they right. helped create the, 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 the banking, uh, methods that, that we have today. That's right. They, but the bottom line is that they had a conviction. 
they had a conviction. Now, was that conviction uh, proven to them by actual physical relics and artifacts, genealogical records? Maybe. Um, Was that conviction uh, achieved through, um, as I say, a spiritual awareness moving to a higher level? I don't know. I can't answer that. That's always a good answer, too. Fair answer. And, of course, going back to Albert Pike here really quickly, I was curious what your opinion was on the received vision that he described in a letter back in 1871 about outlining the plans for three world wars to bring about one world order. You know, again, I think that was um, a... Or something developed by the church in order to put him in a in an awkward position. Uh, the funniest thing is he's talked about the Second World War and the Third World War. Um, uh, you know, he was describing the Nazis as like Nostradamus. Everybody thinks uh, that the interpretations of his prophecies, um, even though maybe six or seven out of a thousand have come to light, there. Interesting. My apologies for the static noise. I don't know if it's coming from you, Mike, or myself. Oh, I was, um, I think it's from, uh, our friend Mike here. I, you know, I, I really don't know. I, Michael, do you want me to sign off and come back and check it out? No, no, it's fine. Okay. No worries. I, I, I really, I don't know. I tried muting the microphone, but, uh, I'm not sure what's up. It happens. Okay. There, there's always some technical glitch somewhere down the line. That happens. <laughs> But it's My all good. apologies, folks. No worries, no worries. I don't think anyone can even hear it, to be honest with you. No, no, I can I can hear it because I have headphones on. But oh, you could hear it too. Yeah, I can't. Bit. I can't hear anything. I can't. I got headphones on too, and I don't hear anything. So we were very clear for the longest time. Mind you, there looks like a storm coming through where where I am here. Uh, who, who knows? Yeah, it's all could good. Be the Russians. It could, it could be, be the, the Russians. Russians. <laughs> yes. The listeners out there <laughs> can't hear it, so it's all good. Don't worry. Right, okay. Good. Yeah, we're good. Don't worry, guys. All good here. And on a just random side note here, William, when you're not reading into all these things and you're not writing a book or anything, what exactly do you do for some downtime for your enjoyment, for your pleasure, my friend? What What is it that William does? <laughs> Actually, I'm an artist. Oh, okay. I do watercolor and acrylic painting. Nice. And uh, I've gotten into the, um, I've always done that. I've gotten into that very much full time and uh, are trying to, one thing about being self-isolated, <laughs> I have a lot of time to paint. So I'm uh, looking to do a number of paintings here, trying to get a major uh, exhibit up and running when I, uh, when the coronavirus goes by. You sound like Mike now. Mike is also a painter, a very talented one mm. at that. Mike, you actually, well, that's you. that's something we haven't even talked about here on the program, that you are actually a pretty damn talented uh, painter artist yourself. Well, thank you, Michael. I appreciate that. I try to consider myself a, a renaissance man, <laughs> uh, having done music, having done artwork, having done, uh, uh, having written books and uh, and a performer. So, yeah, I've kind of, and, and a photographer too. So I've kind of hit every avenue in the artistic field. Um, but yeah, as a, as a matter of fact, I, I also, I'm working on a, a big painting right now, uh, 24 by, uh, I think 18 canvas, linen canvas. So yeah, I'm, um, I work in acrylic, watercolor, uh, 
sometimes oil. I'm not that good at oil, but I, I have done paintings in oil. I do a little bit of sculpting. Uh, I'm my, probably my best is, is, uh, pencil. Uh, I like using graphite sticks. Um, I've been doing an art since I was 13 years old. That's when I discovered my talent. Very nice. What, 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 uh, you said you, uh, work in oils. Is that what you said? No, I work in, a, in acrylics. In acrylics. And you've been an artist all your life? All my life. Yep. Wonderful. Just paintings? Uh, well, I, uh, I'm obviously an author, but uh, uh, just paintings. I always find I had a great art teacher in high school that started me off. He he always said that if you can't do a painting in two hours, uh, it's not worth doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> Grandmaster, do you know how long it takes me to do a large painting? Oh, it takes me a long time now, too. It could take me weeks. <laughs> it takes me months to complete yeah. a, a piece because I, I work in such small detail uh, and, and I create as I go along most of the time. So, you know, as, as I'm sitting there looking at it for like 30 minutes, 25 minutes, that, that's part of the creation for me is, is figuring out what I see on that canvas that I can paint and add to it. The same with when I draw. So, uh, yeah, but I know what you're saying about doing a painting in, in less than or about two hours. That is a, is a goal that I have been trying to achieve for a very long time. I've cranked a few out in watercolor or, um, uh, or maybe even a drawing, but when I do a big painting, it's I do it detailed. So I'm using little tiny brushes and the, the tiniest little, you know, creases on a face or, or whatever it might be, shadows. So uh, I, I can't do a painting in two hours. I do, some- I do a lot of uh, – well, I do work in pretty well any genre. I, but I do a lot of paintings where I try to explore that higher level of spirituality. And I uh, – I do a lot of uh, native um, infused paintings that there's symbology, um, color, representation, numerology, all of those things. You go deep. Mysterious. Yes. My uh, my wife, we've been married 38 years. She's still saying she doesn't know who she married. <laughs> I love maybe that. That's a good, maybe that's a good thing. And by you the have way, to ask yourself that when you're married to a Grandmaster <laughs> yeah. Templar. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's really interesting. When we got married, you have to appreciate I had no uh, – I had an inkling, but uh, aside from that, I had no idea the involvement of the man family mm. in, in Freemasonry and Knights Templarism. And right. and by the way, is the wife is good? You guys are both in good health. No COVID nineteen in your life, correct? No, and the family's good. Thank and, God. Uh, um, my extended family, my sisters and their husbands and and children, everybody everybody's good as long as you practice. Uh, what's what essentially the people of science tell you to do? You're probably you're probably uh, better off um, than trying to ignore it. I agree with you on that one. And another question I have really quickly here, the last refuge of the Knights Templar, what can listeners out there take away from this book, in your opinion? I'm hoping, uh, well, that's an interesting question. I'm hoping they, they understand that there's a lot of things in life that are not obvious. There's your daily routine, but then there's always, you know, you should think for yourself. You shouldn't, you shouldn't listen to other tenets. You shouldn't uh, follow blind faith to the church. Think for yourself and try to reason 
the uh, the spirituality of not only our history but the present day. And from that, I think they'll take a, a great moral that something that you can live by that I've lived by for for my entire life. Yeah, that was there's a, there's mm-hmm. a balance. A balance. You're looking for a balance in life. I was just going to add on to that. So being in the Knights Templar. That's what you have taken away from your experience, correct? Absolutely. I see. Okay. You know, there's there's a saying that you you can take as little as you want or as much as you want. And if you take a, as little as you want, that's enough. Some, for some people, that may be enough. To me, I'm a lifelong learner and uh, um, I'm always seeking the truth. I love that. That's what, we, that's what we do here on this program. We try to achieve the truth and cut the bullshit right away. Hopefully, uh, sorry, Mike, hopefully I presented a few things for you to think about tonight. You really did. You have my mind racing for sure. And I really want to go back and read the entire book. I haven't read it all, but I definitely will read the whole thing. And I would ha- I would have to send you a copy of the book, Mike. I might even have to buy you a copy because I don't want to send this oh. book to you. <laughs> Either way, I'm sure uh, we'll work something out. It's all good. I- I'm well, looking if, forward to reading it. If you're stuck in the house, you should order it. I'm I'm going to get it one way or another, I swear to you. Yeah, this is a, a very, very fantastic book for those out there. The name of the book is The Last Refuge of the Knights Templar. The Ultimate Secret of the Pike Letters, and it goes deep, boys and girls. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here that I wanted to bring up to you, but I don't want to give it all away to the listeners, unfortunately, because it's just, it's so damn good, my friend. I, I have to be honest with you. I, I couldn't even stop reading it. it. There's almost every subject on the Templars is just fascinating. It's always deep. Oh, yes. And before I cut you loose here, William... I do want to leave you with the final word. Anything you'd like to say before you part here with us? The floor is yours. Go ahead and plug anything you'd like as well, my friend. Well, I well, I want to thank you for having me on. I think between uh, you, Michael, and Mike, uh, I always like to have a discussion with people in terms of that are that are open minded and that uh, want to learn. And I think that's in part uh, the reason I came on your show. But also, if uh, people are more interested in my books, they can go to my my website, www.templarsnewworld, all one word, templars with an S, newworld.com. Or they, and if they want the books, they can reach out to Amazon Chapters, uh, online ordering, or order directly through the publisher, uh, Inner Traditions dot com uh out of vermont who are great publishers of alternative yes. history and hidden history and uh, i've enjoyed working with them on all of my books and they're fantastic people yeah they really That's are great. i really like them a lot they always they're always there for me if i need them gotta respect they're, that they are they are terrific people they really are and they're uh um I don't know. There must be something in the water in Vermont. <laughs> no doubt. Versus, versus California or wherever. Are, sure. there, are, there, are there any other books or any other things you want to promote for yourself, uh, Grandmaster? Well, there's the three books that I, I wrote that are nonfiction. Uh, the first one's called The Knights Templar in the New World, Mike. And that talks about the movement of the Knights Templar um, from the uh, uh, 12th century. Um, in the North American, the strategic alliances that they developed with the Native Americans. Then there's Templar Meridians, which is 
a following of the Knights Templar across North America. And then the third one, Templar Sanctuaries in, in North America, which talks about the uh, pre-Columbian settlements, Knights Templar settlements in North America. There's a lot of hidden history out there that you should be aware of. And that last one was Templar Sanctuaries, plural? Sanctuaries in North America. Sanctuaries in North America. Okay. I'm writing them all down. Very nice. Well, thank you so much, William, for being a part of the program. It was yes. an honor and pleasure to speak thank to you, you and have this open discussion with you. I think we ended up just having much more questions uh, from the answers that we received from you tonight. I mean, <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> Holy hell. Absolute, absolute honor to speak with you, Ma Grandmaster William. It, it really is fascinating, and uh, you've really captured my attention, at least uh, tonight, as well as Michael's, I would imagine. We'll have to do this again. You're, wel you're welcome, gentlemen. Yeah, we'll, we'll do this again, my friend. Take yes, care. please come back. Take care. Take care. Bye now. Good night. And there he goes. That was William. Grandmaster William. Grandmaster William. Yes, forgive me there. Grandmaster. Grandmaster William Mann. Grandmaster William F. Mann, by the way. If you search William Mann, you're, you're probably not going to find them. So William F. Mann. And that's man with two ends, not one, for those that are curious. And my God, Michael, what did you make of that? Wow. Um, I got to tell you, that was really a highlight of my, probably of my month. Um, as I've, I mentioned earlier, my fascination with the Templars and the Priory of Sion, Sion bleh, the Priory of Sion. Right. The tongue twister. Has always, it, it's, it's been uh, a fascination of mine for, for at least, oh, it's got to be two, three decades now, close to it. Very nice. Now, Mike, um, what else is going on with you out there? Are you staying coronavirus free too? Yes. Yes. Um, Honestly speaking, and, and all kidding aside, uh, where I live, um, I, I'm in a pretty rural area, Michael. So I got to be honest, I personally, I'm not so worried about the virus itself. I'm more worried about the repercussions that this is going to have uh, on everything economically and myself included. Uh, I'm sure. dealing with some serious financial issues concerning uh, this this shutdown of, of the country. So it's hurt everyone. That's true. A lot of people out there in the same boat as you and me. How about how about you out by you? What's going on over there? Is it a madhouse? Well, not exactly. We don't have that many cases out here. I think we only have about four. Four to five. Okay. And most of them, most of the people that were infected, they were outside of the county and probably outside of the state, perhaps. But there was only maybe two or three that had caught it here locally, though. So the, it's, it's pretty uh, low. It's, it's interesting how it's just everywhere you turn, everyone is talking about it, not only in person or on the phone or by email or text message, but in all social media, on the television, on the radio. It's everywhere. Everybody is. That's all everyone's focused on. And it's true. And by the way, focused on it. You're exactly I spoke, right. I spoke too soon. We have nine cases officially now. Nine. Okay. I mean, that's still kind I of read. low compared to everyone else, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, according to the CDC, I believe. Uh, there is five as of yesterday there were 544 or 43 uh deaths in the country but there's something like 20 or 30,000 affected i could be wrong on that number as well that was yesterday yeah i'm sure the number is even higher now 
It's possible. Yeah. It's possible that I maybe even have been exposed to the virus. I mean, I was pretty fucked up for about three days. Why? You were sick? I was sick for about three days. I felt like shit. I think I might have um, caught the virus at one time and I kicked the shit out of the virus because the virus entered my body and said, what the fuck is going on here? I can't handle this shit. (laughs) This is some toxic dump. They said, fuck this. I'm out of this guy's body. This guy lives like a fucking savage. (laughs) Fuck this shit. I can't even stay here. I'm out of here. I'm going to go hang out with Ebola. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure the virus left me right away. It didn't want no part probably of this shit. Probably died. I probably killed the virus. My blood probably <laughs> is probably the cure for the virus. We need to send all viruses to you so you can kill them. <laughs> I know. I mean, I need to go out there and just drain blood everywhere on, on everyone. <laughs> like the soldiers that were out there um, training the, the Cobra Squad or whatever the fuck it's called in Thailand where they're drinking uh, snake blood and all that shit. Maybe I just need to slit my wrist and let the soldiers drink it. Are they real? Wait, you're telling me that they're drinking snake's blood to prevent the virus from killing them or, or as an antibiotic or something? <laughs> no, the, it, it was just some training thing they were doing out there um, Oh, not okay. long ago. It's, it's to survive in the jungle. Oh, okay. I think they all probably right. stopped doing it. that shit. You know, uh, I'm not a, a big fan of drinking blood these days. but uh, you used to be, right? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah huge <laughs> that's hilarious so mike we are almost running out of time here i mean we will be oh, back brother. pretty soon again i think we might have a show i think it might be friday but we for sure we will be back saturday with eric ajuski okay so friday i'll let i'll let you know beforehand though Okay. So yeah, I know we're, we're scheduled for Saturday's, uh, interview. That's right. Um, and, uh, I guess just let me know, uh, at the earliest you possibly can so I can announce it on my fan page and, uh, we'll take it from there. This is a great show tonight, man. I, I really enjoyed, enjoyed, uh, interviewing him. It was good times, right? Oh yeah. Even the last interview we did with, um, uh, Dr. Paul Cortell. Paul Cottrell, right. Trell, Trell. Uh, even that, I got a lot of compliments uh, on that interview. That was a good show. Uh, and and as what was her name? Um, uh, Jennifer, Jennifer. Yes. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I got a lot of comments. Uh, the people saying that they really enjoyed the show on on Saturday, and I'm sure I'm going to get some really good positive reviews today on tonight's show as well. Amazing. Now, Mike, I am going to let you go here, and I'll talk to you very soon, my friend. Any final words, All right, however? Brother. No final words. Um. Any final words? Uh, as as usual, if anybody is interested in my artwork or my photography, uh, please go to horribleartwork.com. Horribleartwork.com. And if you're interested in any of my music, uh, please go to uh, Facebook um, and look up Hideous Mike. And Mike is spelled with a Y, M-Y-K-E. Uh, you can also go to my website, MikeHideous.com. Amazing. Talk to you soon, my friend. All right, brother, you have a good night, and I'll talk to you soon. Mahalo. And there he goes, boys and girls. That was Mike Hideous. And I hope you enjoyed tonight's program. It was a good one, in my opinion. And we will be back soon. Don't worry. And, of course, if you want to get a hold of me over Twitter, that's at Michael Deacon. And don't forget, if you are a fan of the program and have a few dollars laying around, and you want to subscribe to the Patreon and get bonus content, Please go to Michael, actually, don't go to MichaelDeacon.com. Go to Patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. And that's where you'll find 
bonus content. But yes, please go to michaeldeacon.com for updates on the program and who's going to be on. I know most of you out there probably don't even go to michaeldeacon.com and you just go straight to YouTube or the podcast rendition. But yes, always go to michaeldeacon.com for all the latest information. Interesting night yet again. I hope you enjoyed it out there and I hope all of you are safe and coronavirus free. It would be, it would be a goddamn shame to lose any of you to this god awful disease. Remember to stop shaking hands out there and start boosting those immune systems. The biological war is here, boys and girls. Stay safe, everyone, no matter where you are on this island Earth. I'm Michael Deacon, and with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody.